final hour fan morning show. Brent and Daniele here with you. Show flying by today and very, very happy to welcome in our next guest. This Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Pleased to welcome in Buck Martinez, former MLB catcher, manager, and current Blue Jays analyst. Buck, thanks so much for jumping on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, hard not to be, uh, not hard not to be enjoying yourself after a two and one weekend for the Blue Jays. Uh, I can only imagine how cathartic it feels. You know, fans are happy to watch all those uh, bombs fly out of the park and all the runs come across home. I can only imagine what it feels like for a ball club that has been scuffling a little bit offensively. Yeah, this is more what we expected from the Blue Jays all season long. Obviously, they hit five home runs and uh, scored 10 runs on 12 hits uh, in the finale. It was pretty good, and uh, it, they looked a little bit more like what we expected offensively. But, uh, you know, of course, losing one to nothing on Friday night and then coming back and winning 4-3 to three on, on Saturday night and uh, then uh, obviously a big blowout yesterday. So, yeah, it was a good series, and um, you know what? I think the boys feel pretty good about themselves, and uh, – it's good to see Bo back in the lineup. He certainly makes a difference. His presence in the lineup alone is going to change the way other teams pitch to the Blue Jays. Oh, definitely, 100% Buck, and it's great to see him back out there. And he made an immediate impact. You can just see almost, even just his presence, as you said, it just changes the complexion of the lineup. Uh, I was curious, as somebody who's you know been uh, a manager and has played in the big leagues, when we talk about offensive approach, Buck, what is it that players typically look for or pay attention to? What does that actually constitute in terms of your actual on-field product and your mentality when you step in the box? Well, obviously that's been talked about an awful lot, and uh, certainly uh, the Blue Jays players have heard it all season long about uh, their inability to come through in the clutch. But, you know, the message is the same. I don't care where you're playing. The biggest key to having success as a hitter is getting a good pitch to hit. And having an idea of who you are as a hitter. This is the type of hitter I am. I have to stay within my skill set. And don't try to hit the pitcher's strengths. Try to stay with your strengths, at least until you get to two strengths. And I think the Blue Jays have been pressing a bit overall. We heard Bo uh, last week talk on our show from the dugout when he was still in active, talking about the indecisive approaches that he has seen consistently all year long. In that you go to the plate. You think about getting a fastball, and you swing at a slider. Those are the types of things that are frustrating to a manager and a coach. That your, your hitter says all the right things and then goes up there and can't execute it. So we saw a little bit different approach on Sunday, and hopefully that will carry over into tomorrow's game in Baltimore. But it's all about having a game plan, understanding what your role is on a team. If you're a guy to get on base and get base hits, do that. If you're a power hitter and drive in runs, just think about getting good pitches to do that. But it's all about discipline and having uh, the patience to wait a pitcher out to make him make a mistake before you make a mistake. Yeah, that that uh, that sounds uh, sounds like it makes a ton of sense. Having said all that, what are you seeing in regards to that with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I mean, obviously with Bo, it's been a great offensive season for him, and he picked up right where he left off. And I'm not going to say it's been a disastrous one for Vladdy, but with the expectations for him, I don't know that he's quite kind of reached them. What are you seeing regarding Vladdy's uh, approach? And do you feel like there's been a change as the season's gone along? Do you feel like he's trying different things? Or, or uh, what have you seen out of him, Buck? Well, I certainly have seen him trying uh, to solve the issue because he's been uh, out every day working hard trying to figure out what's going to help him get things turned around. But he's had uh, the lowest OPS of his career outside of his rookie season in 2019. He's 
still putting up decent numbers, but certainly not the type of numbers we saw in 21 and even into 22. But I, I think the biggest thing is uh, he wants to play catch-up now, and it's very difficult when you play four and a half months of the season and you're trying to put up the numbers that you expect for a regular full season. That's not going to happen in a short series. So what he has to do is just get back to just what I said, you know, get a good pitch, understand what your strengths are, and try to, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is he's trying to generate power, and he doesn't need to do that. He's a guy that uh, naturally has a lot of power, and if he just gets good pitches to hit, the ball will fly out of the ballpark. But, uh, you know, now there's a little concern with his hand. He took an awkward swing yesterday, left the game with an apparent injury to his uh, left hand, middle finger. So we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, you know, they certainly need him to step up and be a little more consistent than he has been at this point. I thought Brandon Belt made a great point after the game yesterday where he actually said almost exactly what you just referenced there, Buck, which was, you know, you can't think about trying to generate power. You just got to kind of spray the ball where it is and pepper it. And then he was referencing specifically for that ballpark in Cincinnati where he says, yeah, in fact, you, you kind of in this park don't even want to worry about trying to lift the ball. Just try and hit it hard. And and it's a funny thing to think about, but I guess when you take that weight off your shoulders, it makes a big difference. And with Vladdy in particular, Buck, do you, like, I guess in, in your in your estimation and being around the team, do you, does he strike you as a guy that maybe needs to, because everybody's different, but does he strike you as a guy that maybe needs more coaching and guidance as opposed to some of the other players? Or how does the message maybe get conveyed to him? And what is the most effective way to convey the correct message to him? Well, I think he has too many voices in his head now. You know, his uncle talks to him, his dad talks to him. He's got three or four hitting coaches and, you know, Vladdy has always been a natural hitter. Uh, he was hitting in the minor leagues before he ever really got into all the analytics and the video and the high-speed pitch machines and all of that. So I think he needs to get back to basics. You know, he learned how to hit as a kid, and he could figure out how to get the back of the ball as a kid without a whole lot of coaching, and I think he's probably got too many things in his mind. You know, in this day and age, when the pitchers are starting against you. You look at video, you look at the numbers, you think about what he's going to do, and you just get overwhelmed with information. I'd like to see him simplify things and not really be coached up a lot. Just go up there like he did as a kid, look for the baseball, hit it hard, and uh, let the results fall. But, uh, you know, Brandon Bell's been around forever, and that's exactly what I was talking about. You can't try to force the game. The game is a very difficult game, and it's a very subtle game. You have to let the game come to you. If you get your pitch hit it, if you don't, pass the baton to the next guy. And I think Vladdy's trying to carry the entire team on his shoulders when he's not at a point where he's capable of doing that. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's really well said. You mentioned Belt there. Obviously, Springer is another guy who would fit into this category. How important is it for a team that, and I, I know they've all been pros for a long time, but these guys are all still relatively young, to have guys in the clubhouse like a Springer who's won so much, like a Belt who has won so much and been on great teams for such long parts of their career. Like, of course the manager is going to talk to these guys, but, you know, just talking with people in the game all summer long, the thing I keep coming back to or I keep hearing is, yeah, it's great if the manager can say something or a hitting coach, but when the players are able to work it out amongst themselves together, it's it's so much better. It just, they kind of speak the same language. What do you think having guys like Belt and Springer in the, in the, the clubhouse does for a a team that, again, is not, they're not babies. I don't want to make it seem like they are, but they're all still guys in their early 20s for, for the most part, the young core of this team. You know what? And that's kind of a misconception. The average age of this team, the hitters are just 29. And, you know, Bo's, uh, 
you know, yeah, I guess it's really younger, just Bo and Vladdy, right? Vladdy's 24. <laughs> yeah, and then the other guys, I mean, you got Chapman and Varsho and Kremar and, and Springer and Belt, you know, Kremar, Springer and Belt, they're all in their early 30s. So it's not that young a team, and I think that's why this season is so important because uh, there's going to be a lot of changes in this offseason because of free agency and guys moving on. But, you know, I, you you make a great point because when, when Springer and Belt and even Pierre Meyer and, uh, and to a point with Merrifield, he's also 34, these guys have played quite a while, and they understand the rigors of playing every single day, and you just can't try to have a great game once, a week. You have to be consistent, and that's what the great players do. They they show up every day. They have the same approach every day, and generally the results are pretty consistent. You know, Buck, I was watching Danny Jansen yesterday. It was, a, it was refreshing. It was great to see him back out there, but when I watch him and Kirk, and sometimes I wonder, and that's, you know, I thought it would be a great question to ask you because you you've, you've been behind the plate. You've had those responsibilities that come with being a catcher. I, with with pitchcom and the way games are called today, do you do catchers still have like how has that changed the way you think catchers actually call games and do they still have that? Would you have liked it also? Yeah, now that's I a great have questions question. about that's this a great too, question. Yeah. Like I'm curious, what do you think that has done to the way catchers operate on a daily basis behind the plate? I think it has taken away their creativity, and I think it has taken away their ability to respond to situations in a specific moment. I think they're so programmed to call in games with so much information and how you get into it and bad, how you get back into it and bad, how you finish off and it's bad with all the different pictures. The information is mind boggling, but I don't think because they've been used to this throughout their entire career, they have the ability that you can make a quick decision. And, you know, Friday night was a great example of it with Jordan Hicks out there who throws 103 he threw seven sweepers in that inning in a nothing-nothing game and gave up a home run on his third pitch. Those are things that catchers can't really uh, comprehend unless you've been used to it over your career where you say, well, you know, this guy doesn't need a sweeper, so we're going to throw him a sweeper. Well, it doesn't also mention that Jordan Hicks has a 103-mile-an-hour fastball that you should use in critical situations. And the next day we saw the difference when Hicks threw 14 pitches all fastballs, all 100 miles an hour, and he had a very easy inning. So those are the types of things, I think, because the catchers have so much information, and they're overwhelmed with information, and they don't have the experience to say, I know what the scouting report says, but right at this moment, that's not the right pitch. Yeah, how would you feel about, you know, we've seen it the other way as well, right? I mean, Max Scherzer kind of famously this year, I think he called his own he called his own pitches and he like struck out the first batter of the game in like 25 seconds or something along those lines. He just worked so quickly. How would you feel as a catcher if it's your if it's your pitcher calling the game and not the the other way around? I mean, I understand everything is a team event and you're all working together, and I imagine the game plan that the catcher would be working off is a somewhat similar one to the pitcher, but how would you feel behind the plate if it was the other way around and it's a guy telling Telling you what signs to put down, basically. Well, I mean, you know, and that's a big misconception as well, because I always felt like a catcher's role was to suggest pitchers that the pitch, pitches that the pitcher is thinking about. Uh, and I always felt really confident if I could throw a sign down and the pitcher went, "Yeah, that's what, it, what I'm thinking about." And that's the art of calling a game is getting into a pitcher's head, and you do that by preparation early in the game. And then you say, okay, well, I understand he likes to throw this pitch at this time, and you want to be on the same page. But 
there are times and moments during the course of a game when I would go out to the mound and say, I know that this guy doesn't hit Dave Steve's slider, but it's not a good time because he's been swinging good at it all afternoon. We have to make a change right now. That's when you go to the mound and you make changes. But, uh, you know, the pitcher has to be 100% confident in his pitch before he releases it. And uh, my job as a catcher is to just call the pitches that he has the most confidence in at that time. And then if there is a key moment like Friday night, 0-0 game, bottom of the ninth inning, we're going to talk about it. And I'm not going to let a pitcher get beat with his second or third pitch in that situation. It feels like uh, one guy that would maybe fit that mold of someone that, you know, you need to have a feel for would be Hunjin Ryu in a lot of ways because he's more of a finesse guy and it doesn't necessarily – he's not going to overpower you with anything. But, you know, Buck, since he's come back from Tommy John, he's looked really, really good, and especially since that very first inning of his very first outing on, I think it was the deadline day. But beyond that, he's been terrific. What have you seen from Hunjin Ryu since he's been back? And what does he add to the back end of this rotation, having almost a more stable force as your number five starter right now? Well, he's experienced. There's no question. You know, he came up with the Dodgers in 2013, and then he missed the 2015 season with shoulder issues. And he's been a good pitcher for a long time, and that doesn't even count his time in Korea when he was pitching in their big leagues. But, you know, he's, he's pitched in 179 games. That's a lot of experience. And I saw him, when I first saw him down in St. Pete when he was working out and rehabbing, I, I noticed that he had lost a lot of weight. So it was obvious that he was working hard at his rehab, and he got back into great shape first and foremost, and then he started to refine his pitches. But he understands who he is. He's not going to try to match uh, Jordan Hicks with velocity. He knows that his uh, success is uh, directly correlated to his location, changing speeds, and he just baffled a young Reds team yesterday by flipping up that curveball at 66, using his changeup very effectively, and very, very rarely during the course of a game, he throw a fastball at 90 miles an hour. But it's all about movement and location, and it's certainly not about velocity with Yunjin Ryu. So, yeah, it's good to have him back. And I think, too, the fact that he's pitching ahead of Kikuchi, and I know there's an off day today, but... When they're in a series and they go back-to-back, that's going to be very challenging for the hitters to face Kikuchi in his 97-mile-an-hour fastball after they dealt with Yunjin Ryu for uh, nine, six, seven, eight, nine innings in the game the night before yeah, that's uh, that's well said. I actually didn't even think about the idea of them coming back uh, off of one another in, in a series. Uh, obviously, off day today, series starting tomorrow against the Orioles. Uh, no other way to put it. This is a massive one, not just in terms of the implications for if you're going to make a run at the division, and I don't know that that's in the cards, but if you're going to do it, it has to come with this. But the other part of it as well is that, you know, this is a young upstart team in the division. They beat the wheels off you last time you played each other. You know, I know sometimes guys in my business can get a little too carried away with narratives and feel free to tell me that that matters way more to me than it does to the players. But how much do they need to prove they can kind of hang with the O's for, for lack of a better term in this series coming up, Buck? Not, not to us. We all know if you put the two teams on paper, yeah, they're pretty close similarly. But in terms of a psychological element for the team, how, how important is this series against Baltimore? I think it's huge. They're two and eight against the Orioles. And, you know, last year they dominated Baltimore, and now they have a different team over there. They're playing very well. They're hot. They're playing with confidence. They're 30 games over 500. And they just won a series out in Oakland. And it's important for the Blue Jays because even if you're not going to catch them, 
if you get into the postseason, chances are you're going to have to face them again in the postseason. So it's important. This is the last time they will face them this year. They have a three-game series in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, the pitching matchup is very interesting. Uh, you've got Kikuchi, Barrios, and, and Gosman in the three-game series. So, yeah, I think it's very important. And at, at least you want to have two out of three, and you'd love to sweep them just to send the message that, hey, fellas, you've dominated us all season long, but we're ready for you should we meet again in the postseason. Buck, I gotta. I want to. I want to end on this with you. I received just a a really cool little DM from somebody that's telling me, "Hey, last night it's a member. It's Chris Black, by the way, for the producer for uh, Blue Jays baseball here on Sportsnet, and he's telling me last night you guys are having dinner. Big group of men from Windsor are eating behind you guys, and they're super excited to see Buck. Buck goes over, talks to them. They're laughing, poses for a big group photo, thanks them, and goes on his way. Just a little moment on the road. So many fans this weekend. That's pretty cool. But Buck, do you still get? Do you do you get? Uh, are you, how humbled is it? Or how humbled are you when you get those experiences, when you have fans come up to you and stuff? To, it's got to be a thrill, I would imagine. You know what? It's It's been awesome. Um, I came to Toronto in 1981 in a trade for Milwaukee, and I thought I would be uh, in Canada for maybe a year or two at the most. And here I am still. It's 2023, and the fans have been wonderful to me. And it really uh, came into focus last year when I was dealing with cancer and I heard from so many fans from all across Canada praying for me, sending their best wishes and it's continued today and I can't thank them enough. They've always supported me very well as a player, a manager and now as a broadcaster and yeah, it's a a little bit of time and uh, it's easy for me to do but yeah, I saw these 20 guys. They were actually from Toronto. I thought they were from Windsor as well but they've been traveling to watch baseball together for 20 years. And it was a group of 20 of them. It was pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's easy to do to stop and thank them for being such great fans. That is, uh, Very that, cool. that, that's awesome. You uh, stopped and chatted with a couple fans here this morning, Buck. Uh, thanks so much for jumping on. Enjoy the off day and enjoy the series uh, against the O's coming up. All right, you guys have a great day. Thanks for having me on. There he goes, Buck Martinez. Love, love, love getting Buck on. That insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Future member of the level of excellence? I mean, in play. Gotta be. In play for sure. been with the franchise forever, right? My goodness. It's yeah. got to be, and in different facets and iterations too. All so. of them, pretty much. Exactly, right? <laughs> it's got to be. I think in consider that was really cool. Thank you to Chris Black for sending that. Yeah, that's a great in, story. By the way, love that. Uh, loved. I I love how you know sometimes guys will shy away from the. I don't know, like, not the mental aspect of the game. Obviously, there's a mental, but, like, the psychological aspect of it. Of Oh, no, it's just another game. No, Buck has no time for that with this series against the O's. Yeah, you want to whoop them because you might have to play them in the playoffs. And none of this, you held your own. No, go take two or three. Go sweep them. Like, I love that from Buck. They only have two wins against them all year. brutal. I mean, you need these count. And and it's it's exaggerated. It's even, it's heightened. It's it's magnified even more at this point because guess what? They finished with 15 straight against the AL East as well. (laughs) 15 straight games. And I know the Yankees are what they are right now. But guess what? Those are those are some demons that they have to exercise For and sure. overcome because they've struggled against the division and they've struggled in particular against Baltimore and Boston. Mm-hmm. Those two teams have been their major kryptonite. So anytime you have an opportunity these next three days, being <laughs> chief among them coming yep. up here, you gotta you gotta make them count. And you're in a dogfight right now to hang on to a playoff spot and possibly make up ground because you're right there now nipping on the heels of the Houston Astros. So they all count. This is big and. 
you just you don't want to get humbled by this team that just did it to you. What was it a month ago? Yeah, roughly, here in Toronto, roughly, yeah. right? Give or take. Yeah. You do not want to have a similar experience where you come away from this series thinking, "Oh, geez, we're we're they're in a different class than us." And that's sort of what it felt like the last time was that you. It was it was there was a lot of. It made you feel really concerned about this team mm-hmm. when you saw what they did in a big series at home against that opponent. Yeah, and again, just to show some of the kind of Leafs-Jays parallels that we continue to see, right? It's, you know, imagine the Devils were in the Atlantic Division. That's kind of what you're seeing with this Orioles team right now. It's an incredibly hot, upstart young team. They have great bones. Nobody thinks it's just going to go away. And that that is the most terrifying part of this. The other thing about this as well is just shout out New York Yankees. I love their misery. I might... (laughs) I might love their misery more than I love enjoying anything in sports. My actual, my own self, it has been remarkable. You were showing me some clips last, like two weeks ago from Aaron Boone, just like getting into it with guys on a pot, on like a Yankees podcast. Yeah, John Boy, the John Boy crew. I love it. Aaron Boone is just, it's like he's tortured. I feel, I want him to have to manage that team forever. I want him looking, (laughs) I want him looking like, uh, I want him looking like Tommy Lasorda out there that he's just managing that team for a hundred years. Don Zimmer, that's who I want him to look like by the time he's done there. I love his misery. And yeah, I got to, Got to poop on Eric Cole or Garrett Cole earlier today. Yeah. I just, it's yeah, been you're a, feeling it's been good, a good about uh, about taking your the Yankees taking their lumps. They've lost eight straight. Okay, longest losing streak since 1995. Oh my God! Can you imagine That's how crazy. hot it is in the Bronx right now? Oh my goodness! And and you you mentioned I was I even had this yeah. ready to go because I had it as a, uh, the Yankees as a loser. Ironically, um, Aaron Boone he 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 has a weekly appearance with those guys. That's amazing on the Tonkin Yankees podcast this week. It's in studio. Oh yeah, they're getting him in the flesh. Oh, God, back from it. a road trip I in the it. flesh. Just had a rough series at home against the Red Sox. Yeah, yikes, brutal. Yikes, it's man. brutal, and I love it. Honestly, I do. Everybody has. I'm a big believer that sports is about what you love for sure. You should have teams, players you root for, you cheer for. If that doesn't can, cause you to have some hate in your heart for other entities, I don't know what we we're doing here. We can have common enemies. Yes, we it's can. It's great. Like it's we, a, you can commiserate together, and yes. you can also collectively hate teams. And it's whether and this is the beauty: whether you're an Orioles fan yeah. or a Blue Jays fan, yeah, you matter. can all bond over one thing: you hate the New York Yankees. Hating the Yankees, God. <laughs> is great. there any? Is that like number one for you? It is so number one for me. I, I like. I love the Leafs hmm, more than anything else. That. But I question. hate. I actually think I hate the Yankees more. I might hate the Yankees more than I hate the Montreal Canadiens or the Boston Bruins or whatever. Like, honestly, when I think about it, like they are just my show number one. I see, you know what? You know why I think it is? I see so many dudes, and I don't know, this is just like part of my judgment, who are like sports adjacent. Mm-hmm. And they just like, they're like, Yankees hat is my hat. That's oh, the hat I wear. And I'm just like, what are we yeah. doing here? Yeah. What are we? Are you Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit? What is going on right now? Get out of here with this. I hate. Just seeing a Yankees billboard walking around, it's like, and then 90% of the time talk to guys, it's like, oh, just a hat. Get out of here with that. I cannot stand just smug Yankees fans. <laughs> take a hike. So there's the smug Yankee fans. Then you've got, uh, yeah. as you put it, these these sports adjacent yes. kind of casuals yes. that just go around and wear this. Oh, Jay-Z word. It looks yeah, cool. Yeah. There's apparel. And you're just like, oh, okay, I don't know. And it's like, oh, it's an iconic yeah. little NY. It's cool. Great. Yeah, okay. I- that. So those teams are irritating and frustrating. So the Yankees yeah. being one of them, I think I like the Dodgers is another one okay. because because you see that around and I'm like, 
what are you doing? Like they're like, well, it's just an old school iconic hat. <laughs> There's one team though, ironically, okay. that as as iconic and yeah. and as celebrated as their brand is, yeah. they I see and I'm like, ah, I can accept it. It's the it's the Raiders, mm. formerly Oakland and okay. now Las Vegas. Because that was like the the like think about how cool oh, yeah. their brand was, oh, right? Yeah. And, the coolest. And, right. So and I can still see it. And I say, okay, I'm okay with that. But there's, there's, I mean, whether it's the the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers. Funny you bring up the Dodgers because the second it gets to the West Coast, for me, I'm like, ah, people don't even no, care see, about but sports that's, out there. I think that's the only one. <laughs> that's the only one for me though that does it. It rubs me because I I do consider them this historic franchise yeah. that in sports that I will always be like, okay, uh, just oh, it's uh, it, it is my queasy. It is my hobby horse it. opinion that I will never ever be bullied off of. That, like, I'm sorry, man. If you live in California or someplace like that, you could only care about sports so much. Like, you can. I'm sorry. Like, there's beaches. It's nice outside all the time. I got to go rot on my couch from November to April. And guess what I'm doing? Commiserating about the Leafs and Raptors the entire time. (laughs) And guess what? I Honestly, guess what I'd be doing? Maybe with Leafs, I'd have to do it because I just am who I am. But it's like... If the Raptors were bad, I'd probably just go to the beach or go outside or go to dinner or, like, you know, live a life. But it's like, nah, it's cold. So I'm just going to sit inside. I'm going to watch this this team. And guess what? I'm not even no, no, they're not bad. True. It's just, yeah, just Can't, drives hey, me nuts. I, I'm right there with but you. Massive, Can't say I blame you. I'm a massive believer in just, like, East Coast sports fans will will always uh, rule, that's, rule that's over, the over West Coast. Lives. Yeah, it is, that's, man. Look at Philly, the, New York. Tough, all like, yeah, grimy. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. True. All of them. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. oh, those, oh, those yeah. 49ers yeah. fans are going to get you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Eagles fans yeah. compared to 49er yeah. fans. Come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. or, or yeah. the Seahawks. Oh, 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 the 12th man. Yeah, go to Philly. Yeah. Great Good point. Luck. Although, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, there was a clip from a Niners preseason game of a massive brawl. Well, I will say, I, I and think I'm thinking, they, even in Philly, they're I, not doing this well, yet. Wait until September. I just think just those wait. guys, like, the fight out there. That's the difference. Is like that guy. That's not a football no, no. fan. That's a fair weather fan. That's a fair weather fan. <laughs> that guy's wearing a Yankees hat at the 49ers <laughs> game, punching it. somebody in the face. That's it. Yeah. They also, I don't know what it is about 49ers games. So just stuff goes down. I feel like a guy like got shot at one a couple of years ago. Just, yeah, it's uh, it's always a bit of a scene. That's uh, what over happens there. When, you, when you're wearing a Jerry Rice jersey instead of a current player on the that's team. Right. That's the problem. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I, I did take a jab at Jerry Rice. Great player. I'm not, I'm not saying, but anyway. I feel like that's that's another bugaboo I have. Okay. Uh, just if you're gonna wear wear the guy from on current iteration of your team. Oh. Support your team. I you don't know how bad Especially if they're good. You don't know how bad I want a Matt Sundin like throwback jersey. That's like what I want so bad. So oh, yeah? I disagree with you on that okay. take. Yeah, I do I, want I have I I'm not saying I, think I don't know I do. I think it's weird if you're like if you're eight and you're a 49ers fan and you're wearing like a, a Jerry Rice, Rice that's jersey, wild. It's weird. like, yeah. go get like, yeah, it's true. Know, yeah, yeah. Bosa or whoever's your guy. Yeah. McCaffrey, McCaffrey, whatever. Yeah. Right. Okay. Ben Solak. NFL. Yes. Going to talk about football. It. Football. It's almost here. And I'm going to keep saying that until it comes. Threat or promise. Usually I ask that. It is a promise <laughs> because we all love football. Everybody loves it. Football talk coming up next. Ben Solak of the ring are going to join us. One segment left here on the fan morning show on Sportsnet 590. The fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan morning show. Final segment here. Uh, 
welcoming you back from break. How dare the our job interrupt our hot Nathan Rourke conversation that we were having? Maybe we'll have a little <laughs> more of that uh, as the show wraps up. But very happy to welcome in our last guest of the day, who I will not ask about Nathan Rourke unless he has an opinion he wants to share with the, about the Jags third string quarterback. But he's our sweet Canadian prince. Uh, we now welcome in our last guest of the day, Ben Solak, NFL writer for The Ringer. Ben, thanks for jumping on. How you doing, man? Man, if you weren't tweeting about Frank Solich's Nathan Rourke match champion team in 2018, you weren't living. I, I was covering the draft back in back in the uh, the late 2010s. I loved Nathan Rourke. I thought Nathan Rourke had a future in the league. He was a Shrine Bowl quarterback. I followed his uh, his career closely. I was fully aware of his CFL success. Very happy to see. The young NFL tryout. Never question my Nathan Rourke credentials ever again. Okay, I'm, I'm, I would like to apologize because I get my back up when people question credentials. I definitely have as well. So I would just like to apologize to you. So thank <laughs> you for that. Now we can move on. I and, accept. Okay. You good. get one. Okay, thank you. Uh, I will keep my comments about Philadelphia to myself. I actually never been. I have no comments, but I would just see if I could poke the bear maybe one more time. Uh, that, so now we can move on. We all love Nathan Rourke. We're all having a fun conversation. Uh, first question about football is really about gambling on football. Ball. is the first few weeks of the season the most fun or the least fun time to gamble on the NFL because we all think we have a hunch about something but we all don't actually know until week one rolls around where are you at on kind of early season NFL gambling and is it the best time or worst time for you yeah so the question was most fun or least fun I know it's the most profitable right when you go and you look at historical betting data uh, and when uh guys who've been on the NFL professionally tend to make most of their money. It's usually early in the season when their power rankings uh, are better and more accurate than the league's books are and certainly than the public is in their estimations of the league. And so is it the most fun or least fun? Depends. Are you a member of that winning rush of September or are you on the outside <laughs> looking in? You know, uh, what I would say is that uh, if anybody who bets the NFL kind of casually and for fun Absolutely get your action in in week one uh, and enjoy that. Have a good time with that. Um, but it's probably better if you're just like a casual better to see what things look like for the first few weeks before you really start saying, you know, I think the Packers are going to make the playoffs. Let me get in on that. Or oh, I think the Lions are going to upset the Bills. Let me get in on that. Uh, whereas if you're somebody who does the work in the offseason, uh, you know, you're playing fantasy, you're doing projections on players and you're, you're doing team rankings and you're looking through depth charts. If you're a real sicko like me, then September's the time to get after it. That's when you're going to have edges that the books don't have yet. Uh, so it kind of depends on how you bet what kind of dictate how you engage with the first month of the season. Well, you said it. You called yourself a sicko. So I got to ask you a sicko question. I'm, I'm wondering, like, yes, sir. when you do your preparation and you're going through things and trying to identify trends or what have you, uh, what, are some, what are some indicators that you look for? And do you attach yourself to, like, specific teams or players? How do you do this? Because I'm sure people are very curious. And yeah. if anybody's looking to make find ways to make a little extra cash here and there. And now, obviously, it's, it's illegal. So everybody's having fun out there. Yeah, so when you go and you look at team performance from last season, there are things that we that we call sticky and things that aren't sticky. And by sticky, we just mean this is something that year over year stays relatively stable. For example, let's just say offensive performance and defensive performance. We know that offenses year over year tend to be pretty sticky. Even when a, a, an offensive coordinator changes or like a left tackle retires and is replaced, generally an offense stays sticky if the quarterback that runs an offense is still there, right? The kind of the offense goes, the quarterback goes. This is intuitive, right? If Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, you're going to have a good offense, even if Tyreek Hill leaves. 
And if Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback, they're going to have some problems on offense, even if you have incredible weapons around them, right? So offense, we know to be sticky. Defensive performance, we know to be volatile. It's not sticky. Uh, the, 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 the defenses that are the best in the league, Dallas and San Francisco, those guys can usually stay relatively on top because they have so much talent. But, like, the defenses that finish, like, fourth best, fifth best, sixth best, those teams change dramatically year over year. Uh, we know defense is a lot about the quarterbacks that you face and the situations that you face, how good your offense is, and there's a lot more uh, confounding factors. And so it's important to trust good offenses over good defenses when you look at things long-term from the outside. The other stuff you want to look at is things like injury luck, what teams were super healthy last season. They're probably going to be a little more banged up this year. What teams lost a lot of starters last year. They're probably going to be a little more healthy this year. You want to look at performance in one-score games, right? Like the Minnesota Vikings last year, won 13 games. So they were like 9-1 and one in one-score games. They're not going to do that again. One-score games tend to be a 50-50 proposition. They're coin flips. Uh, so when you go and you look at last season's teams, you want to ask, okay, how did this team find their success? And if they won it by being super healthy and by winning a lot of close games, they're probably going to take a step back this season just because luck is not going to go their way. And the same thing is true for teams that suffered a lot of injury and lost a lot of close games. That's why like, I'm high on the Falcons, but I'm low on the Vikings. It's because I think expectations will recalibrate because of the luck they experienced last season. Yeah, I'm happy you pointed out the Vikings thing because they're, they're the team that, that throughout this entire kind of Kirk Cousins run, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just Kirk Cousins, that it's like he is exactly what he is as a quarterback, and they're kind of what they are as a team. And it's sometimes they look really, really good, and sometimes they look a little less so. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a really smart thing to kind of point out. And you mentioned the, the idea of coordinators. Like, I was somebody who was not not of the belief that it was going to be their downfall, but Brian Dable got so much credit in Buffalo for everything he did in building Josh Allen up, and then obviously he leaves. He does a great job with the Giants, and I remember sitting there thinking, okay, how is this going to go now with a different OC? And yeah, guess what? It still went pretty well. I do want to ask you about the Giants. You know, I've been, I, I sit here and I write down all my teams I want to ask questions about, and it's almost always all AFC, so I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up and actually talk about an NFC team for once. Uh, we know the Eagles and the 49ers are sexy there. Uh, Cowboys maybe so as well, but the Giants are one of the more interesting teams. You know, the run Danny Dines went on. We know everything that happened with Saquon this offseason. What's your read on the, the Giants heading into this year? Right, so it's interesting. The Giants are probably improved and also will probably have a worse record, right? Which, again, that's, that's, that's looking at the things that are stable and the things that aren't in the NFL. Giants were another really, really good team in one-score game. Uh, so the additions of, of players like, uh, Jalen Hyatt, Bobby O'Karake in free agency, the improvement of Kayvon Thibodeau in year two, Andrew Thomas in year three, the return of Saquon Barkley. Like, there's obviously a lot to like Darren Waller acquired from the Raiders. Like the team, the roster looks better than year two of Brian Dable, year two of Wink Martindale. They should have a little bit more uh, familiarity with the scheme and, and comfort in, uh, thereof. Like there's a lot of stuff to like. But you still have to look honestly at this roster and say, okay, is this an 11-win team, which is what they were uh, last season? And the answer is, is probably no. You, know, you, you doubt the, the talent that they have at, at quarterback there in Jones. And then, you know, you, you go defensively and you say, okay, I really like Dexter Lawrence. I really like Leonard Williams. But does this defense really have, like, star talent? Is Adoree Jackson regularly taking away the opposing team's wide receiver one? That's where I think they're, they're a little bit deficient. Uh, and so I think the Giants – uh, very well are going to be fighting for a wild card spot throughout the entire 18 weeks of the season. In order to get it, they, they, they have to, they have a pretty narrow road to walk. They're probably going to be the third best team in the NFC East, right? They're going to have to play the Eagles twice and the Cowboys twice, and that's going to hurt their, their record and their strength of schedule a little bit, whereas teams in the NFC North, NFC West, certainly get some, uh, some lighter competition, right? And so it can be hard to fight for that wild card spot when you're in that division. I think they're going to be fighting for it. I don't necessarily think they're going to be a, a team playing in the divisional round as they were last season. I think that's a little bit punching above their weight. The Giants are really fascinating to me because 
and it all revol- revolves around one guy. It's Daniel Jones. Like I think they they made the decision, they paid him, and you got to. Ho- I think they're hoping, obviously, that he's going to take another step forward because they invested a whole chunk of change into him and being the guy to lead them forward and to help them get back not not just to being a relevant team as they were last year and a playoff team, but getting back to the conversation in in what is now a you know, a, a more wide open NFC to possibly being in that mix to to contend for, you know, an, an opportunity to play in the NFC championship game or to make a Super Bowl. That, I think, certainly with the price tag is what the goal is. I wanted to uh, ask you about another NFC team. We'll stick with the NFC just because we've, we've avoided it here a lot or we don't typically touch on it. But you wrote about the Detroit Lions and, and you visited the mm-hmm. uh, Lions training camp and you talked about the offense in particular. Do you have confidence that this is a team that can take that additional step forward this year. There was a lot of buzz, a lot of hype surrounding them. They're a sexy team. They're getting the main, uh, the primetime treatment opening night against the Chiefs. Is this a team that is ready to take that next step and, and become a playoff team? Yeah, they are. Uh, and I, I think that offensively, you, you highlight that, and I think appropriately so. The, the straw that stirs the drink here is going to be this offense. Uh, what Ben Johnson, as uh, a first-year offensive coordinator, did with a team that, you know, weapons-wise, Amon Ross St. Brown, Khalif Raymond, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, like it, Jamal Williams, it wasn't a great group. It was a fine group. They really exceeded expectations. And then they, they turned things over this year, right? TJ Hawkinson gone in a midseason trade. DeAndre Swift gone in an offseason trade. Now it's David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta. Obviously, Jameson Williams, they're still hoping to get something out of him after missing much of his first season with an injury and now some of his second season with a suspension. So they're, they're, they're changing over this, uh, this weapons group. And, and with a quarterback like Jared Goff, who's not necessarily known as a top-ten quarterback, you look at the, the, the sexy positions, the skill positions, and you say, how was this a top-five offense last year? Because it was by, by most relevant metrics. And then the answer is in the offensive line. And they believe that really strongly there. They talk about it a lot. They were never at full health last season. Uh, right guard, Halapulivati, by time, missed the entire season. But they believe, like, hey, we feature our offensive line. We run this thing through the running game. We dominate up front. That's how we're successful. And they're really excited about showing that again in year two, even as the skill positions change. The limiting factor for the Lions, though, is the defense, right? They were not a playoff team last, last season because their defense could not win them a game. It could not get a stop late against the Eagles. It could not get the stop late against the Bills on Thanksgiving. The first Vikings game could not get the stop. They had so many... We just took the lead with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and all we needed is a stop, and they never, 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 never got that ball across the line. So a huge change in the secondary, right? They have a ton of new starters, Cam Sutton, Chauncey Garner-Johnson, Brian Branch. They're hoping Emmanuel Mosley can get good snaps for them once he's healthy. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson in year two, they want to be a double-digit sack guy. They have a first-round rookie in Jack Campbell at middle linebacker. They have retooled this thing, uh, really trying to get a defense. It doesn't need to be dominant. It doesn't need to be top ten winning every single week. But just get us that last stop. We can put up 30. Get us a couple of stops that we can get this thing across the line. They're favored to win the North, I think, rightfully so. I think they're a playoff team come January. It's always so funny the way it works out cyclically, right? I mean, we've seen this movie many times before, uh, you know, going all the way back to, like, Tony Dungy and the and the Colts versus the Buccaneers and John Gruden of, like, you get a defensive guy in there like Campbell, and it's like, ah, I got to fix this defense because you focus so much on the offense. We have been super direct with our questions. I'm going to go more open-ended for the last one here. What's the team that's most intriguing to you? Maybe it's a super high-end team like the Chiefs. Maybe there's a team that you're a little more bullish or less bullish on than others. Just open-ended. What's the most kind of interesting team to you uh, as we're a couple weeks out from the season? Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the Packers, what this team looks like. Um, I mean, if, if Jordan Love looked good in the, post, in the preseason, okay? If they did it again, 
right? If they just seamlessly <laughs> transition to another quarterback they develop, I'm going to be mad, but I'm going to be impressed. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's not worth it. There's, there's no overstating how valuable that is to do in the NFL. Like they're going to have, if Jordan Love is good, they're going to have three quarterbacks for 35, 40 years. And they're going to be obviously two Hall of Famers and whatever Jordan Love ends up. But if he's a decade long guy, even if he's not a Hall of Famer, that's such an enormous win for your franchise. It's such sustainability. That's su- such success. And so fascinated to see what Jordan Love looks like. But then once you get past the Jordan Love of it all, They've done a good job getting younger along the offensive line. Elkin Jenkins, Zach Tom, Josh Myers is a is a I think still settling into the center spot. They've Josh Nyman who they extended like they've retooled there, and then obviously they've gotten very young at wide receiver. Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson last season, Jaden Reed this season, two young tight ends, Luke Musgrave and, and, and Tucker Kraft. They've had AJ Dillon there for a while, waiting in the ring for Aaron Jones. Like this offense is is ready for the next era, and then defensively they're just first round picks across the board. Like they have a ton of talent and they perennially underperform with defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, which is a frustrating thing. Um, but in general, there's enough talent on the defense to get it done. Like if Jordan love is fine, this team is plug and chug a playoff group. I don't think they're necessarily a NFC contender. I think that, you know, their postseason struggles with Rogers kind of, I think prove some of the limits there, but in general, like this is, I mean, this is as good of a roster as it was when Rogers was there. It's just the Jordan love question. And so, if you have this this young receiving group, this young weapon group, be what they were drafted to be, the Packers are going to just be good again. And it's going to be boring because they're good again, but it's also going to be hilarious because they traded away a Hall of Fame quarterback. So I'm fascinated to see it. Yeah, we uh, I think we just made history. I think it's the first time that three dudes have had an NFL conversation and talked more about Nathan Rourke than Aaron Rodgers. But we're going <laughs> to let you go before we break that. Uh, ben, loved getting you on. Thanks so much for jumping on with us and uh, can't wait for the football season. It's upon us here. Absolutely, fellas. I appreciate it. Y'all be well. There you go. Just three guys who love our love sweet it. Canadian prince, Nathan Rourke. He was offended. Did not like me questioning his credentials, and I'm happy he told me about him because I didn't know. Well, there's there. Look, I think he's a guy that, as you can tell, studies this game. Do you think really well? So he is. He is well studied, and he knows probably guys from D three that we've never heard of before. That he's like, yeah, yeah, maybe that guy could be something. So. Yeah. I love it. I, I thought that was fantastic. It was great. And I'm so one. I wanted to just bring yeah, up, of course, so glad he hit on the Packers and Jordan yep. love as his answer there for that last question, because I have a friend of mine mm-hmm. who now lives across the pond out in England. Mm. Credit to him. He was up at like three in the morning for our fantasy draft on Thursday. Not a boy. Just, just sicko hours, but love great that. kudos to him. And he is so down on the Packers and, really? and Jordan love. He's a huge Packers fan. He's so down on them. And we're just like, but, Jordan Love has looked fine. He's looked okay. And, and in fact, it. over the weekend, he looked good again. I and get it, though. I, I kind of do, but at the same time, I'm just thinking, I hope I, I I have, I am more optimistic, shall I say, than my good friend, Brian, who is a big Packers fan, that Jordan Love is actually going to be okay for this for this Green Bay team. Yeah, I, I don't think a guy gets, I mean, look, guys have got taken higher in the draft than Jordan Love and turned out to not be, not be good. Shout out Chosen Rosen, okay? Like, we've seen this movie before. <laughs> I still I still maintain if he gets a do-over, it goes at least 1% better. Like, it's like he yeah, got drafted sure. by the cards five minutes later. Mm-hmm. They're like, get out of here. And then they're, he's in Miami. It's and like, here's Kyler. they yeah, didn't even trade for him. It's like, he just showed up. It's like, yeah. So I, I do maintain Chosen Rosen gets a do-over. It goes at least 1% better. But they... They know how to do this. This is what they do. They just roll from one to the other. And and I think 
the point that needs to be hammered home about that is nobody is sitting here saying, oh, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But it's exactly the thing that Ben mentioned there. If he just gives you solid quarterback play for eight years, every team would sign up for that with the guy they took at whatever, 22 Definitely. in the draft or wherever wherever it went. You know, you're taking you're taking a guy one, you want a little more than that maybe, but for 22 for the replacement plan, the exact way they've played it all out, yeah, how so long as he's good and it pans out, how can you knock them for it? Because it's the blueprint they've followed again when this is all said and done for 40 years, possibly. No, Ben and Ben made a great point where he mentioned you look at the rest of the team surrounding him. He's really the it's the he's the primary change. Yep. All the other pieces, for the most part, are the same. Lines Even the same, off, yeah. Lines the same. Offensively, all the weapons, they're there. And they're not just all there. They're, those young guys, those young receivers are now more mature and mm-hmm. more advanced because they're going into their second years. And Dobbs and Watson are two guys that legitimately have a potential to be to emerge as really, really good quality NFL receivers. And then he's got two horses in the backfield in Jones mm-hmm. and Dylan. So there's a lot of good things surrounding him. A lot of great complimentary pieces. The defense is good. They, they're well coached. And you know what? I'm going to say it too. Oh, no. There's no Aaron Rodgers drama. Yep. That's another factor in this for them. There's no more drama surrounding the guy who's playing the most important position. It's Jordan Love's team. He's going in there. It's his. He's going to get the leeway and the runway to go and do what mm-hmm. he can. I, I kind of like it, and I, I feel pretty good about it. I, I even I look, and I've, I've even said this to my to my pal Brian, who's diehard Packers fan. I've said, listen, I th- weirdly, I, I would almost have advocated for them to do this sooner. Yep. I would have advocated for them to move on from Aaron Rodgers even after that first MVP season when he started whining. Because guess what? <laughs> the, the best version of Aaron Rodgers is when he never said a word. Yeah. And we didn't know half of the stuff on all his opinions and everything. That was the best version of Aaron Rodgers. He was just that guy that we were kind of like, you know what? He's really darn good, but we never hear from him, and that's perfect. But that would have been it. And he starts whining, and he wanted to move on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what the Packers look like. Personally, me, I think Jordan Love should go to a darkness retreat for his bye week. <laughs> I think that would be a great bit if it's just like the bye week. Where's Love? It's like surely he's studying tape at the compound. No. He is locked in a hole in the ground where they've slide his food through a mud puddle or whatever it was that Rodgers was doing. Speaking of which, Aaron Rodgers, I saw he was doing an interview, and I had this was. clip, but in, in this interview, he's wearing a T-shirt, and the T-shirt it- said... From darkness to the Big Apple, oh, epic God. T-shirt. Yeah, it's a great T-shirt. Yeah, just, There's never been a guy who, again, it's like the king of like, oh, give me my privacy, but look at me. Yeah, look exactly. Will you ignore right? me? Right? Oh yeah. God, he is a. Uh, it, there's there's not well actually I was about to say there's not many it happens with a lot of athletes where you come in I'm like oh, I love this guy and it's like they just grow and they're older and they talk more and I'm like mm, I'm no. actually all the way yep. out on this guy mm-hmm. shout out Tom Brady I still love you but it's tough these days okay <laughs> uh, yeah so look awesome show today uh, did not get the wake and break we'll do that tomorrow I will give a quick shout out uh, to our man. Eric referring to himself as Big, Big, e. Big E, which is bold. So, I mean, I, I just hope you can back it up. Maybe I'll run across you in the streets in Burlington one day because that's where he's from. Uh, he likes the Astros minus one and a half against the Sox today. Mariners money line. Rangers and Diamondbacks over nine and a half. He's got, he's got his own wake and break there. Just do that if you want something to bet on. Also, I like it. I'll throw out a pick here as well. Really yeah, sure. just to mention 
my beloved Arsenal are playing today. Oh, I the don't Gunners. Know. Yeah, I've adopted them. They're called the Gunners. Uh, I'm Gunner. It seems appropriate. It does seem appropriate. <laughs> uh, so I've been telling my son we're both big Arsenal guys now. <laughs> uh, they, they won their first match last week. Did not play this weekend. Playing Crystal Palace today. Yep. Minus 135 or something like that, I think. Uh, so go out, support my Gunners, and go make some money. Danielle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow. Nice job. Sant Man Bunk is coming up next on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.